So as we begin our message today, I'm going to ask you, have you ever thought to yourself, why did this happen to me? Have you ever had that thought go through your head? Why did this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? It could be because of sickness or injury or something going wrong with our bodies. We're just not functioning the way uh, that we would like to. And we think to ourselves, why did I have to go through this? What did I do to deserve this? Why did this happen to me? could be related to financial challenges. It could be that you had money that was taken from you or a deal that fell through or a time when you're made redundant in a job. You wonder, what did I do to deserve this? How did I end up in this situation? Why did this have to happen to me? could be because of a relational challenge. A close friend or a family member uh, where something that you said or something that you did was misinterpreted or misunderstood and it caused this huge reaction and this huge rift in your relationship with that person. And you wonder, what did I do to deserve this? Why did this happen to me? This new series that we're jumping into today is going to give us an opportunity to really dig into that and to wrestle with this question that we ask very often, why me, God? Why me? Why did this happen? And we're going to use the life of Joseph as an opportunity to be able to dig into that. We know that Joseph was someone who went through a lot of big challenges in his life that most of the time had nothing to do with choices that he made, but the choices of others, just when he seemed like he was getting his life together, something would happen that would set him back really, really significantly. And so we're going to use this as a way of being able to wrestle with this big question that often comes up. Why do bad things happen to good people? And what do we do in those moments where we feel like God has left us and abandoned us? Where we say, why me, God? Why did this have to happen to me? So you have your teaching notes inside of your Connect newsletter. You can grab those so you can jot things down as we go through today's message. And uh, you can also open your Bible up to Genesis chapter 37 because that's where we're going to go. And uh, I would say with this series, again, I mentioned this during announcements, we are going to be kind of jumping all over the place a little bit and just looking at some snapshots. We're not going to be reading every single verse. Uh, So it is probably going to be helpful for you to have uh, your Bible or your Bible app open so that you can read through and see where we're at in the story. So uh, you can open up to Genesis 37 because that's where we'll be going in a couple of moments. So context for where Joseph's story fits into things. Joseph's story is found in the book of Genesis, uh, which we believe was written by Moses, along with uh, the other four books that make up the first five books of the Bible. They're often called the Pentateuch, which is a really fancy word that just means five books, Penta five, Duke books. Uh, but you've possibly also heard of a reference to the Torah, or the Hebrew law, and that is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament make up the Torah. And so all of the things that we find there would have been stories that would have been shared stories that would have been passed down by oral tradition, generation after generation. Some of the things that were written down would have been written in different places all over the place. And Moses brought all of that together and collated it into the first five books that we've got. In the 17th century, there was some debate that started to get raised as uh, rational thoughts started to kick in a little bit more about did Moses really write this or didn't he? Uh, But Jesus seems to indicate that he thinks that Moses wrote it. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, we would say it's good enough for us. So Genesis is, uh, the word Genesis means beginnings. Genesis really is the book of beginnings. We know that at the beginning of the Bible, at the book of the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, that we're told that God created us in His image. 
That God's desire was to create us in his likeness so that we could experience his desire for us, which was to live in a full, complete relationship with him, to live in a full, complete relationship with each other, and to live in a full, complete relationship with his creation. A little bit further on into Genesis, we then have this guy who emerges whose name uh, becomes Abraham. And God chooses Abraham to be the father of a very large extended family that's going to build into a nation that God is going to journey with. And the idea here was to say, God said, I choose you, Abraham, and your family to be able to understand life the way that it was created to be, to understand what it looks like to live in a full relationship with me, with each other, and with creation. Skipping very quickly through, Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob. And Jacob is this guy who's a very interesting character, because quite frankly, he's very deceptive, and he's a little bit of a shady guy, actually. And yet God manages to use him in a really, really significant way. Jacob actually has his name changed to Israel, which is where what we talk about as the nation of Israel and the Israelite people come from this, that they are Jacob, Israel's descendants. Jacob ends up having 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this sets up the rest of the Old Testament, where there's this journey of God working with the Israelites, Israel's family, Jacob's family, which is Abraham's descendants, to be able to again say, what does it look like to live the way that you're supposed to live? And the Old Testament is then this journey of God saying, here's what it looks like to live the way I created you to live. And the Israelites saying, thanks, but no thanks. We're going this way instead. God bringing them back and saying, this is what it looks like to live the way that I created you to live. The Israelites saying, thanks, but no thanks. We're going this way. And then God bringing them back over and over again. But as all of that unfolds and as God journeys with this big extended family who becomes a nation, we also get a greater and greater set of contexts for what Jesus comes to do for us. That ultimately Jesus arrives on the scene to fulfill all of that and to give us the opportunity to understand what life is like the way that it was created to be. Jesus comes to give us the opportunity to live in a full, complete relationship with God, with each other and with creation. That looks like what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, the kingdom. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. And we believe through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, we're scooped up into that. And it's no longer about a chosen group of people, this single people group, but it is about all of us being invited in to participate in God's family. So Joseph is the 11th of these 12 sons. And so it's his story, as I said, that we're going to explore over these next few weeks. So, Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 2. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So already, just in these few verses, we've got a fair bit to unpack. The first is this interesting reality that Joseph spent his early work life as a shepherd. 
This is something that we've talked about a number of times before, that it's key imagery that weaves its way all the way through the Old Testament of this beautiful picture of what God's relationship is like with the people of Israel, and ultimately that Jesus comes to say that he is our shepherd to have that kind of relationship with us. But as Joseph is doing his shepherding things, he's out and about and working with his brothers, and he would regularly come back and report to his father some of the things that his brothers were doing. Now, we don't know whether this was genuine concern, that Joseph was genuinely struggling and saying, Dad, I need to tell you, like, these guys are up to some stuff and it's kind of going to have an impact on our reputation as a family, or these are some things that are going to cause significant issues down the line, and so he might have been raising some genuine things, or it might have been petty little complaints that he was coming and sharing. Dad, did you know that he always falls asleep when he's supposed to be working? Did you know that when he's out and he's supposed to be looking after sheep, he's on his phone all the time? It could have been really, really petty things. We don't know exactly what was going on there. But what we do know is that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other kids. Now, as parents, we know there's a pretty important rule in place. You don't have favourites as a parent. You love all of your children equally. You love them differently, but you don't have favourites. You don't pick favourites. That's not the way that it's supposed to work, is it? Well, apparently for Jacob, he just dismissed that rule. And he said, no, Joseph is my number one. And how would you have felt if you were one of Joseph's brothers? And you knew that your dad loved Joseph more than he loved you. How would that make you feel? How would you feel if you were Joseph? probably feel a little bit torn, this sense of like, it's great that my dad loves me and that I know how much he loves me. That's really, really awesome. But that's got to feel uncomfortable as well. Dad, could you just tone it down a little bit? Because this is kind of awkward, kind of embarrassing. You're causing some issues with my brothers here. Well, to show Joseph just how much he loves him, Jacob makes him this beautiful robe. And we, most of us, have heard of this because of a very famous musical called Joseph and His Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anyone heard of that movie, uh, musical? Anyone seen that musical? So we understand that this could have been a robe, it could have been a tunic, it could have been a cape. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know that it was very, very colourful. And it was this symbol that Jacob gave to Joseph to say, I love you more than everyone else in the world, including the rest of our family. There's also some implications here that this could have been a symbolic gesture of saying this coat comes with some of the rights that come of being the firstborn in our family, which again would have caused a couple of issues with the rest of his brothers who were further up the line, particularly the older ones, who are like, what do you mean we just got skipped over and now he gets all of the firstborn rights? That's not appropriate. So in verse 4, that's what we're told. His brothers hated him. They were jealous of him. They couldn't find Uh, They couldn't say a kind word to him, which we completely get. I totally understand how they must have felt to see all of this stuff going on and then Joseph with his fancy little coat that he had as well. In verse 5, we're then told that Joseph has two dreams. So the first is a dream where Joseph dreams that he's out in a field and there are these 12 bundles of hay. And one of the bundles of hay represents him and the other 11 represent his brother's. And in this dream, the other 11 bundles of hay all bow down to this one bundle of hay that's represented as Joseph. And so Joseph, probably not a wise decision, goes and tells his brothers, hey guys, I had this awesome dream last night that we were all these bundles of hay and all of you 
bow down to me. Isn't that a great dream? Well, again, how would you have reacted if you were one of our brothers, uh, one of the brothers? Verse 8, we're told, so you think you'll be our king, do you? (laughs) You think that you'll reign over us. And they hated him even more. Again, we can kind of probably understand that. Then Joseph has a second dream, this time where the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down before him. This time he goes and doesn't just tell his brothers, but he tells his father as well. And he says, Dad, I had this dream last night where the sun, which was you, and the moon, which was a mum, and all of the stars, all of our brothers, all bowed down before me. What a great dream, right? What do you think that it means? Well, Jacob doesn't respond well. He says, what kind of dream is that? You think that your mum and I and your brothers are all going to bow down before you? And in verse 11, we're told that the brothers became even more jealous, but that it got Jacob thinking. There was something in this that just kind of rattled Jacob a bit where he's like, huh, I wonder what it is that that really means. Well, the next snapshot in verse 12, we're told that Joseph's brothers have all headed out into the fields far, far away to be able to look after their flocks. And so Jacob sends Joseph to go and find out what's going on to see how they're going. Now, again, we don't know the motivation here. Was Jacob sending Joseph so that he could go and check up on them? Was he taking them a message, taking them some lunch? We don't know exactly what was going on, but Joseph sets out to find them. And he can't. He goes to where they're supposed to be. He can't find them. And he comes across this stranger and he says, have you seen these guys who are looking after sheep? And uh, the stranger says to him, actually, they've moved on and they've all headed over that way to a different part of the country. And so Joseph heads over there. That's where we pick things up again in verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns or wells. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. If you've ever thought that your family was a little bit dysfunctional, this is a really great opportunity to recognise at least it's not like this. This point where the brothers are so fed up with Joseph, they're like, we're done with you, pal. We're going to get rid of you once and for all because we've had enough of all of this ridiculousness that's going on. Verse 21, when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness and then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So Reuben is the oldest, and so he says, whoa, 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 guys, let's not kill him because then we'll have blood on our hands. Let's just leave him in the well, and then he'll die, but that's not our fault. He'll die because of natural causes. So we're free, and it's all good. But he's got this hidden motivation that he's going to come back later, pull Joseph out of the well, and return him back to his father. And you can imagine that in Reuben's mind, probably what he's thinking is, this is going to be great. How awesome is dad going to think that I am if I return Joseph back to him? Maybe this will help me to get into dad's good graces. Verse 23, when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So Joseph rocks up, doesn't know any of this is going on, gets attacked by his brothers. They rip his robe off of him and they throw him into this well or into this cave. And what do they do next? Well, we're told in the next verse, just as they were sitting down to eat. 
So the brothers do all of this, rip the, the robe off of him, throw him in the well, and then sit down to have a bit of a feed. Verse 25, just as they were doing that, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Now, Reuben, at this point, we'll find out in a moment, clearly wasn't a part of this conversation. He said his bit and then he's wandered off or something's happened and he's not there right now. And so Judah now pipes up and he says, guys, we shouldn't kill Joseph because, again, then we'll have blood on our hands and probably let's not even just leave him in the well because then we're sort of responsible. Let's sell him because then we're not responsible at all. And I love that he says these words. After all, he is our brother our own flesh and blood. What a generous guy Judah is. But there also had to have been in the back of his mind, here's an opportunity to make some cash. If we sell him, then we'll have some money as well. So that's really, really great. So verse 28, Joseph is sold to these traders and he's taken off to Egypt. Reuben at this point comes back on the scene and says, what has happened to Joseph? So his big plan about how he was going to rescue Joseph is now gone because Joseph's been sold and has disappeared. And so he's a bit concerned about that. Verse 31, then the brothers killed a young goat and they dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. So the brothers take the robe that they've got, They kill a goat and they take some of the blood, they sprinkle it on the blood and they send it back to Jacob. And they say, Dad, Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. Look, here's the blood that's on it. Uh, That's devastating, isn't it? And Jacob is absolutely devastated. He cannot believe it that his son has died. He refuses to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son. So with all of this, we're going to keep coming back to this as we make our way through Joseph's story. We have to ask ourselves, what exactly did Joseph do wrong to deserve all of these things that happened to him? Now, we can recognise it's probably not wise that he ended up sharing the dreams that he shared. But some of this is about our perceptions of what Joseph is like. And you may well have understood that Joseph as a young guy was this kind of cocky, arrogant young man who was kind of really showing off all the time and I'm dad's favourite, la-di-da, I've got my fancy coat and so on and so on and I've got these dreams and so I'm going to brag about those things. There's also a way of us being able to, especially as we see the journey that Joseph takes and the integrity that he has and the sort of person that he is, Well, we can understand that this might have been really, really hard for him, that he felt really awkward wearing the coat when he was wearing it, and that with the dreams, he was just genuinely trying to say, I had these really powerful and vivid dreams. What am I supposed to do with this? What do you think that it means? There's a possibility that Joseph was genuinely just sharing from that perspective. 
But even if there was a bit of arrogance that he had while he was younger, did he deserve to end up here? And what must he have been thinking as he was sitting in that well by himself? As he was listening to his brothers talking about whether they're going to kill him or whether they're going to sell him off to these traders? What must he have been thinking as he was pulled out of the well and potentially chained up and taken by the traders and taken away? What must he have been thinking and feeling as he walked off into the desert behind this caravan, looking back behind him, thinking, probably never ever going to see my family again? It's helpful for us to say, if we had any of those similar types of experiences, where in our lives have we encountered similar feelings that Joseph goes through? Have you ever had a time where you've been deserted by the people who were closest to you, betrayed by the people who were closest to you? Have you ever had a time where everything that was most dear to you was taken away? This coat being taken from Joseph was a really, really significant symbolic thing. It meant so much to him and to have that taken away was having the one thing that was probably most dear to him, this sign of his father's love taken away. Have you ever had an experience where you've had something that was really important, really dear to you, taken away from you? Have you ever shared something personal, something that you were processing or something that you were working through with someone And had it blatantly misunderstood or misrepresented or misinterpreted. And that caused a massive rift because of what the other person's perceptions were. Have you ever had dreams of really, really big things that were going to happen? These hopes and dreams that you had of things that you were going to do or that God was going to do in your life or that God was going to do through your life. And then all of it just seemed to evaporate and turn into nothingness. Have you ever been there, had that feeling? Why me, God? What did I do to deserve this? Now, we know that God is with Joseph in this moment. And as the weeks roll on, we'll continue to see the ways in which God is still at work in his life. But it's really important for us to just sit in this moment and to be able to experience the sense of lament the sense of grieving, the sense of frustration that Joseph must have been feeling and to recognise that all of us go through that at different times in our lives as well. We ask ourselves, why me? Why do these bad things happen to me? What have I done wrong that means that I have to deserve this? Or where we think that at a bigger picture level, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people so often? Like where's the justice in that? And the challenge for us is, as we reflect on Joseph's story, to recognise that the stuff that Joseph went through was because of the decisions of others. This wasn't God who was doing these things to Joseph. It was the choices of Joseph's brothers that led him into the situation that he was in. And as we zoom out, that's true in our world as well. So much of the suffering that's experienced in our world is not God's fault. It's the choices that people make. And so often those choices are grounded in jealousy or bitterness or arrogance or power or greed. And those choices that people make then have massive implications in terms of the ways in which it hurts other people. And so there's this tension that we sit in where we should feel free to come to God and say, God, why me? Why is this happening 
to me. But we don't blame God in those moments. We don't say, this is all your fault, God. What we do in those moments is to be able to say, God, help me understand that you know how I'm feeling. And we can take a lot of courage from that because we know that God does know how we're feeling because Jesus has been through all of these same things. Jesus completely understands what it's like to ask that question, why me? Why did I deserve these things to happen to me? Jesus experiences people closest to him betraying him, turning their backs on him. Jesus understands what it's like to have what you're trying to say and the good that you're trying to do be misunderstood by other people. Jesus understands what it's like to be completely abandoned. We talked about that just before Easter. That question that Jesus says, where are you, God, in the midst of all of this? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? When we go through these moments, God understands exactly how we're feeling because Jesus has been there. He's experienced all of it. There's nothing that we go through in our lives that Jesus hasn't experienced at a level that's probably higher than anything that we experience. Before we just reflect on what this might mean for us, there's a couple of other things that we want to take away from this part of the narrative as well. So often when we read stories in scripture, when we watch movies, when we watch TV shows, we often identify with the star of the show, the person who's the most important character. But it's good for us to just pause and reflect on two other groups in this story as well very briefly. The first is to say, when we encounter suffering, when we encounter injustice, are we willing to have the courage to speak up like Reuben did? Are we willing to say, this is not actually okay? Something needs to be done about this. Or do we just kind of go with the flow and go with what everyone else is doing and go along with what's happening? Are we willing to be courageous enough, even if that's going to have implications? If we see people who are experiencing injustice, whether that's in the schoolyard, whether that's amongst our friends, whether that's in the workplace, and if there's implications for us if we stand up, are we willing to say this is not okay? These decisions that are being made by other people that are hurting this person are not okay. But we also need to just kind of tune in and recognise that all of us at different times in our lives also play the role of the brothers. All of us at different times, if we're honest with ourselves, make decisions or react out of jealousy, out of bitterness, out of resentment about what someone else is getting or what's happening in someone else's life. And we need to be honest with ourselves that sometimes that ends up causing significant suffering and pain to other people. We need to name that. We need to confess that. Say, God, I'm sorry that I'm making these choices. Help me to change my perspectives, my perceptions, and to be able to love the way that you want me to love. So there's a lot for us to be able to just take from this first part of Joseph's story. And so, as always, going to give us a bit of time to be able to reflect on that. And uh, the question that we're going to use throughout this series is this. What is God saying to you through Joseph's story? What is God saying to you through this part of Joseph's story that we've looked at today? For some of us, who are going through something really, really difficult or have been through something really, really difficult and it's holding on to us. It's about being able to sit and lament and grieve in the midst of that and to say, God, this isn't fair. I don't understand why this is happening to me. 
but also to be able to recognise that God understands exactly how you're feeling in the midst of that. Jesus has been through it all. He's there to wrap his arms around you and say, I know what that's like. I've been there and I'm here with you. So for some of us who are going through something difficult, that's a good place for us to spend some time reflecting. But for others of us, it may be that God's challenging us about an area of injustice where he's calling us to speak up, to stand up for something that we know is wrong. And for others of us, it might be that we've just had a little bit of a nudge or a bit of a prod about a time when we've made a decision out of jealousy or bitterness or resentment that we know has caused issues for others. And maybe we need to spend some time with God around that, asking for forgiveness for what's happened. Or it could be something that God's saying to you completely different to all of that. I want to give you a couple of moments to be able to take some time to reflect. You can talk to the person next to you, jot some thoughts down, close your eyes and reflect. But what's the one thing that you want to take away as we head into this week from Joseph's story? And we'll come back and pray and transition to communion. God, we thank you so much that throughout the books of the Bible, there are so many characters who are flawed, who don't have it all together, who make significant mistakes, and yet who you seem to be able to use in really, really significant ways. We thank you that their imperfections mean that we're able to relate to them. We thank you for the story of Joseph and what this series gives us an opportunity to dig into and the things that you've spoken to us about already today. 
want to pray particularly for those of us who are going through difficult times in this moment or those of us who've been through some challenging times in recent days and we're continuing to struggle with the fallout from that. As we effectively sit in the well feeling like we're all alone, help us to recognise that we're not, that you are there with us and that Jesus, you understand exactly how we're feeling. No matter what's happened to us, no matter what we're going through, you've experienced all of the emotions that we experience as part of our human existence. And so you can sit with us, with your arm around us, being able to comfort us. And so even though right now you might not have any answers, I understand what you're going through and I'm here with you. Help that to be a a sense of comfort for us. Give us a sense of your peace in the midst of what it is that we're going through. For others of us, we might be feeling challenged this morning about the times when you ask us to step up and to stand up for those who are having injustice happen to them, those who are experiencing suffering at the hands of the choices of others. We pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness that we need to be able to step up and to stand up for those who maybe don't have a voice or those who need someone to show that they're with them in the midst of what they're going through. And for some of us, this morning might have raised some reminders of some times when we've made some decisions in our lives where we've caused damage to others, where we've caused suffering and hurt to other people because of the jealousy that we were experiencing, bitterness, resentment, things that we were going through in our lives. For those things, we want to ask for your forgiveness. We give them to you and we thank you that your forgiveness is complete for us. Those things don't hold power over us because of what you've done for us, Jesus. You release us and you set us free from those things. But help us to be able to work through the reasons why we made the decisions that we did and to be able to move forward in ways that don't continue to cause suffering and damage to other people. With all of this, we're so grateful that, God, you are big enough to be able to meet with each one of us exactly where we're at and to process with us the things that we're going through. My prayer for us as we move into the rest of today, as we move into this week, is that you would remind us that we are not alone. No matter what we go through, no matter what challenges we face, you are there with us. And I pray that the things that we process this morning would continue to just be a part of our thoughts as we move into this week, that we can continue to process and take out of today what it is that you've got for us. In your name we pray. Amen.